0: I just knew that there was this period in life where you could kind of afford to take these risks. And you know, for me, it was all about if I get 10, 15 down, years down the road and look back and, and didn't give this a shot, I knew that I could chalk that up as a regret. And so for me, it was really about, you know, knowing that this is the time to do it. This episode is brought to you by SBC Summit North America the biggest sports betting and iGaming event of its kind. Their highly anticipated event returns this summer on July 12th through 14th, which will bring together all of the major players in the fast-growing North American sports betting and iGaming industry for three days of high-level discussions, business meetings, and networking. The program also includes SBC's First Pitch, a startup pitch competition that will bring together the most exciting startups in the industry, competing for a grand prize before a judging panel of leading industry investors. To learn more and secure your ticket, visit
1: sbcevents.com. All right, we are back with episode 29 of the Betting Startups podcast. And for today's episode, I'm joined by Brady from Brotho. Brady, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jesse. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, great to have you here. I know we've been chatting for a few months now, Brady, so uh, happy we finally got to today and could hit the record button. Um, Just to kick off, and maybe just for folks listening that aren't familiar with you, if you could give us a little bit of a sense of your background, maybe some of the major chapters of your career up until the founding of Brothrow.
0: Yeah, I guess in short, I would call myself a, a math nerd. I was a math and economics guy in college. Um, I somehow ended up working in finance for the last 10 years for a few different retailers. Uh, most recently for Walmart, I'm here in Northwest Arkansas, Walmart's headquartered here. Spent four years there and, uh, you know, I decided, I guess three years ago now, I was ready to start something of my own and, and happy to talk a little bit more about that later. But um yeah, I'd say, you know, two kids, I've got a three-year-old girl, one-year-old boy. I'm an avid golfer outside of uh, when I'm working and I guess that kind of sums me up.
1: Right on. Well, no, definitely going to dive into, I think, this transition from corporate life to entrepreneurship life. But uh, we'll get to that in a moment, Brady. Um, For folks listening that may not be familiar with Brothrow, similarly, if you just give us a sort of high concept sense of what it is, uh, maybe when you started it and what exactly it does at a high level.
0: Yeah, I describe Brothrow as as a social sports betting platform. And really, you know, I would say it started uh, in concept several years ago in college, actually. It, it was a group of me and friends that had bad experiences with offshore betting websites and decided there's probably an easier, simpler way to do this. And we created what was initially just an iMessage thread with five or six guys in it. And we said, hey, we'll, we'll throw out, quote unquote, throw out bets to one another. And if one of you guys happens to like the other side of it, great. We'll, we'll settle up however we want to settle up. And, and that concept really Grew and grew into what became like a hundred person group me chat. And, you know, as you can imagine with a hundred people in a text thread, it gets pretty chaotic, particularly on a Saturday morning during college football season. And so really the idea for Brothrow was, Hey, we need to create a tool to sort of organize this activity because, uh, you know, w- within the group chat, it was very manual, keeping track of who you bet with and how much you owed and, um, just a lot of work doing it that way. And so we decided, Hey, there's, there's gotta be a better tool that we can build to do this. And so we set out to build a, uh, you know, beta platform that we launched in the fall of 2019. Um, we were gearing up for a, a hopefully a wide consumer facing launch ahead of March madness in 2020 and then COVID hit and sports shut down and we didn't have anything to bet on for, for several months there. And so, uh, you know, we, we, I'd say soft launched in the fall of 2020 and have been sort of growing linearly ever since then. And, uh, but yeah, that's sort of the, the background and, and
1: where we've been. Let's take a bit of a deeper dive with Brothrow because as you just explained, there's a a social component there, obviously the messaging component, uh, a peer-to-peer sort of matching component. Um, I'm wondering if you can deconstruct this a little bit, Brady. I'm on, I think, episode 29 of the podcast now. And as you can imagine, I've had a fairly uh, sort of wide variety of guests on. And there's other folks I've chatted with uh, that are doing things that conceptually sound similar. So I'm just wondering if you can deconstruct it another layer and maybe sort of help us understand how it's differentiated from some of these other apps that are currently out there.
0: Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, I think number one thing about Brothrow is it's simple. We designed it with the same logistics in mind as the old chat day. So you sign up for a Brothrow account, you create and accept bet bets directly with other users of the website. And it's really as simple as that. Um, it's a lot cleaner. It's a lot more organized. It's It's, it's, you know, there's sort of the bets dashboard where you can see all the, the different open bets structured by league and by game. And then the creation experience is is pretty simple too. But I, I think one of my favorite pieces of the website we call it the balance sheet, and, and you know that's sort of your profit and loss tracker. I'm a finance background guy, so we call it the balance sheet. But what it does is it keeps track of you might have you know 20 different bets with six different people in an individual day, and the balance sheet sort of organizes all that. that shows you here's what you were up or down versus each person, and we give you some unique functionality to be able to one click over to third party payment apps and pay other people directly, but um, you know, mechanically, I think the logistics didn't change too much. It was just, a, t- it was taking that sort of group me chat experience and, and putting some structure and organization to it. Um, yeah, you know, as far as differentiation from other innovators in this space, I, I kind of, I, I've done a lot of studying the space as you can imagine over the last two or three years. And and I kind of think that the industry, at least within the innovation side falls into one of four big buckets. And the first one is sort of the exchange model, which you alluded to, and you've had some guests on with with startups in that, that sector. And, you know, the way I think about that is kind of a cross between stock trading and and sports betting and merging those two experiences. There's the social sort of gamified experiences that are coming out. There are players launching crypto-based sports betting apps. Uh, And then the the fourth bucket, I think, are people that, you know, are combining sort of the daily fantasy and the sports betting experience. I think where Barothra sits is sort of the intersection of that exchange model and the social model. Uh, We differentiate from the exchange in that, you know, you always know who you're betting with. You can, you know, direct your bets to different people and you can create private groups and you can, you know, make friends on the website. Whereas if you're, you know, trading shares of Microsoft, you're not going to know who you're trading them with. And so there's this social aspect that that I think differentiates us from an exchange, but we have some of the same mechanics of an exchange, right? Like you can, you know, you can buy and sell bets essentially with other people. And so there's this sort of direct peer to peer, you know, piece of breakthrough that is similar to an exchange, but yeah, I think it's, it's kind of right between those two, as far as where we land.
1: Well, I appreciate you uh, deconstructing it that way. Again, just trying to sort of map the landscape here. And with so many companies doing so many different things, it's hard to keep track at all. And I think that was very clear sort of uh, positioning as to where it sits. So I appreciate that, Brady. Just following on that then, how are you guys classified from a regulatory perspective? And sort of what analysis have you commissioned to sort of consider that question? What were the key takeaways as you built out, uh, I guess, the model and the business around Brothrow?
0: Yeah, every, you know, everyone in this space knows that it's, it's, what I would say is complex from a regulatory perspective. And so before we ever, you know, put fingers on a keyboard to start designing Brothrow, we, we did a ton of upfront legal research to determine what are the constraints and parameters that we need to develop within to make this a, a, a product that we can offer, you know, uh, to a wide, wide audience. Right. And so we commissioned three different legal studies across two different firms from a federal, both from a federal and a state perspective. And really the, you know, when you think about from a federal perspective, the chief concerns there are the Wire Act, the UIGEA, and there's a handful of lesser known gambling related um, statutes, the Travel Act, the Wagering Paraphernalia Act, the illegal, illegal Gambling Business Act. And really the, the key question that our legal analyses addressed was, are we or are we not engaged in the business of sports betting? That's sort of the key determining factor on, uh, you know, the whether or not you fall within the confines of, of any of those those uh, statutes and the conclusion is that, you know, because brother has no vested interest in the outcome of any of the sports or the games that we offer. And because we're not taking a VIG, we're not taking a a variable fee, you know, for each bet that's made on the site that we're not technically in the business of sports betting. And so the conclusion there was, as long as we sort of stay away from that transaction, we don't play the house. We don't set point spreads. We kind of let everything be dictated by our end users, that that keeps us away from those, those federal laws.
1: So. If you're not participating in that transaction, then Brady, how is Brothro making money? And I guess ultimately what is the business model for Brothro?
0: Yeah, I'd say what we've done so far is really engineered a system of, of trust, right? Because our users are transacting independently with one another. We had to build constraints and, and, you know, features into the website that helped enforce, enforce that social accountability. And so. You know, there are things like you, you don't sign up for a birthrow account and, and bet however much you want right out of the gate, right? You're going to graduate through these different tiers of you can bet so much after you've completed this many bets within the network. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, social indicators. Like you can go to different users' profiles and see what, how many bets that they've made in total, what were their most recent 10 games? Did they lose or did they win? And, and a lot of indicators that kind of give you confidence and are these people trustworthy or are they not, and then. I think one of my favorite features is we created what we call the endorsed status, which is really the equivalent of the Twitter verified status, right? On Barothra, it's a green check mark on Twitter. It's a blue check mark, but what it says is you've got a long history with Barothra, you've got a a clean record and, uh, that that there's no issues there. And so a lot of indicators, I think to sort of engineer trust within the platform, uh, in terms of monetization, we we've kept it free today. We've actually. We turned on a feature we call tip the dealer, which is donations. So you have a winning day on Brothro, you log in the next day, you get a a pop-up that says, Hey, help us keep Brothro free and and donate. Um, and we've been encouraged by the results there. We've seen, you know, over a quarter of our active users donate at least once. And, and we think that's indicative of, you know, willingness to pay for the platform. So what we're going to transition to this fall is what I would call freemium subscription model, where we'll offer, you know, a a tier of Brothro that will always be free to the same as it is today. But we'll build in some features and enhancements that would be exclusive to a paid subscription model. And we're going to test a lot of different variations of that this football season.
1: I want to talk a little bit about user acquisition as well, right? It's a B2C product, consumer social, peer to peer, um, notoriously uh, complicated to sort of build a critical mass in any consumer product. How are you thinking about user acquisition in general, and particularly given the fact that it is an exchange-based model that requires liquidity on both sides? And again, that critical mass and, and seeding that marketplace being so important, um, just sort of how are you thinking about user acquisition in a very crowded landscape?
0: It is expensive. That's the one headline that you read, you know, when you look at sports betting news and and I think, you know, DraftKings and the fanduels of the world are paying hundreds of dollars to acquire a customer. Um, What we did last fall was we tested a lot of different digital marketing and sort of influencer marketing type strategies to see where could we drive the lowest cost, but highest quality customer acquisition. And, you know, we iterated and iterated with, with Facebook ads and Instagram ads and, Got really good at getting clicks, we just struggled to convert uh, and when I say convert, I mean convert to a registered user or birthrow and so we transitioned to uh, podcast sponsorships, which worked. we did one big one for the fall and it was with a, um, a an old miss athletics focused podcast out of Oxford Mississippi super successful, did a six month engagement with them and and really drove a, a huge uptick in users and and did it you know very cost effectively and so I think that's how we'll lean in again this fall. Uh, we're actually working with an ad agency out of Austin, Texas, that that specializes in in podcasting and, and brand development. And so, we're going to work with them this fall and kind of try and target some shows that we think have customers or, or listeners, I guess, that that fit our demographics and and go that sort
1: of influence around. Awesome, makes a lot of sense. I want to. Uh, transition a little bit to the fundraising journey for brothrow. So again just sort of anchor where we're at today. You know, I, I understand you have raised a little bit of seed capital up until this point. Can you give us a sense as to where brothrow is on that fundraising journey and how uh, are you developing your fundraising strategy?
0: Yeah, we uh, we raised some what I would call pre-seed capital last spring, it was $135,000 that we publicly disclosed. And that was what we used, you know, post-covid to sort of finish out the the rest of the platform and fund some of the marketing tests that we did and you know, continue to commission legal analyses and and make sure that we're buttoned up and eyes are dotted and T's are crossed there. We're working on a million dollar seed round right now, and we're doing it through convertible debt. And I'd say, you know, the big buckets of where we want to spend that money first and foremost is, is obviously marketing and growth. And so I talked, I alluded to that, you know, influencer marketing channel that will lean into this fall and, and a big chunk of the money will go, you know, toward that back. We also were fortunate enough to just make an offer to our full-time developer who's going to come on board. Actually, he starts next week and that's going to unlock a ton of bandwidth, you know, to start making some cool, uh, you know, user-driven features and enhancements to the site that we've been wanting to make for a while now. And so there's, there's a personnel component, there's a marketing component. I didn't mention this earlier, but we actually filed for a patent uh, back in November of 19 when we launched our beta site and and we'll continue to prosecute that patent and go through the the arguments and, and legal expenses there. And so there's a chunk diverted to that. And, you know, then you get that, I think the last big bucket is just keeping the lights on, the infrastructure, the hosting and everything that goes into running a platform or an app. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of where that money will go and how we're thinking about
1: using it. Awesome. And, you know, as far as I guess getting ready for raising that seed round, have you got out there yet starting to talk to investors? And if so, sort of what are some of the initial things you're hearing from them around the opportunity and the overall space right now? And particularly given some of the headwinds that we're facing right now, and, you know, what are some of the, I guess, yeah, interactions been like so far as you've gone out there and started this process?
0: Yeah, it's been, it's been hard to say the least. You know, I kind of wish that we had gone down this path last year because it seems like. You know before the economy started turning and and not even the economy i'd say just the stock market and valuations and the public markets are are trickling down to the private markets and so i'd say the the word to describe it right now is it's hard um you get a lot of no's for every yes that you find and i think that you know i've heard a lot of guests on your show talk about the challenges of fundraising and i think it's, it's just gotten harder this year i think the good news is is we're still in a space that is young and growing in the us that's been a key theme also on a lot of your shows about how The U S is a, you know, we're in the maybe second inning of the U S sports betting market. There's only 35 states, I think right now that have sports betting legalized in one way, shape or form. So I still think there's a ton of growth, um, you know, to be seen within the industry in terms of how we're reacting, I guess, to the macro environment, um, Right now we're we're raising at the same valuation that we raised at last year. I think that's one of the big you know pitches that we'd make to an investor today is look we're we've we've shown significant growth, significant traction in terms of our key metrics that we look at from last year, and we're going to offer this at you know to what to what us feels like a discount right going back to that same valuation from last year. So I think just acknowledging that there's been a shift in the macro environment and it being upfront with that towards you know potential investors is. I guess, how we're positioning ourselves to be accommodative.
1: Just thinking about the types of investors that you're looking to reach, Brady, is there a certain, I guess, profile of investor? Are you looking for strategic partners? And I guess, what are you sort of saying to them insofar as what they can expect uh, if they were to back bro throw in their portfolio?
0: Yeah, we're, you know, strategic is, is I guess that would be what we would handpick, right? We want, you know, my background's in finance, science, sports betting. And so to the extent that we can you know, put pieces of the puzzle in place and and fill knowledge gaps that we don't have. I think that's, that's great for us, but we're also open to, you know, the sort of fam family, friends type checks that, that we'll accept too. And, um, that's what we did last year in our pre-seed round. And we've gotten some commitments already this year and, and have had a couple fund already this year as part of this pre or this seed round. And so, you know, from an investor perspective, I think one of the, you know, things that I mentioned earlier is I'm, I'm based in Arkansas and there's actually some really interesting incentive programs in the state that. You know, make it more attractive to invest in an Arkansas-based technology company. And I guess the one that I would highlight um, that we've applied for or working through the approval now is called the Equity Investment Tax Credit, and it is commissioned by the Arkansas Economic Development Commission. And essentially what it does is it provides a liquid tax credit to investors up to a third of their investment in the company. And so they can either use that if they have some tax liability in the state of Arkansas to offset it, or there's a whole secondary market where they can sell it for cash or typically 90 cents on the dollar. And so, you know, the implication there is for an investor, they can recover almost a third of their, you know, capital pretty, pretty immediately by investing in us as an Arkansas company. And so I think that, you know, makes it uh, a a little bit more attractive, certainly versus some of the, the alternatives out there.
1: I want to shift a little bit, Brady, to your recent, I guess, transition from a career perspective. Uh, You mentioned at the beginning. You've been doing the corporate thing for a number of years at Walmart and recently, actually, you've just made the transition full-time to Brothrow, which is obviously a huge milestone for any entrepreneur to take that leap. Congratulations for that. Um, i wonder if you could just sort of maybe share a bit of your experience about that recent leap and kind of just maybe sort of your thought process and sort of your mindset as you approached it and what ultimately was that aha moment that led you to, you know, take that leap and make that full-time transition to Brothrow.
0: Yeah. You know, it was, it's obviously a huge decision, a major, you know, fork in, in life's road, I think. And it was one, I'd say it was one of my goals from the beginning of starting Brother. I think when I first started Brother, I was a year into my new job and, and working in finance at Walmart. And I just knew that, you know, there, there was this period in life where you could kind of afford to take these risks. And, and so that really, you know, for me, it was all about if I get 10, 15 down years down the road and look back and, and didn't give this a shot. I knew that I could chalk that up as a regret. And so for me, it was really about, you know, knowing that this is the time to do it. And, and, you know, the other big thing too, is you, you get to sort of an inflection point where you're committed to your corporate job, but you're also committed to your startup and they're competing for mindshare. And, you know, I kind of came to, I guess the inflection point for me was realizing I'm starting to, you know, I guess perform poorly at both. Right. And if I didn't pick a path, I was going to fail at both. And so to me, that was really the. The decision point, but yeah, that happened about two months ago and, um, gosh, it's, it's been a great transition so far. Super excited to be doing something that I'm, I'm passionate about and don't have a bad word to say about, you know, the corporate world. That's what ultimately yeah. allowed me to fund this business from the beginning. And so excited to, uh, you know, fulfill a major goal that was, was established at the beginning of, of breakthrough.
1: Uh, that's an amazing story and i can tell just with your enthusiasm as you talk about it it really is uh, you know just sort of that euphoria of having taken a leap now and you're sort of in it all on your own and you're on the roller coaster officially so again congrats on that brady um you know for folks listening that often think about maybe starting their own business but again sort of have that i don't say fear of taking the leap but you know in your story as you've explained it there was a number of years where you were still working that full-time corporate role and maybe thinking about your idea and sort of incubating that idea and refining the idea. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about just that process of sort of incubating your own ideas at the very beginning and how people can still maintain their, you know, professional obligations and, and you know, fulfill their obligations at work while still continuing to sort of explore this idea of becoming an entrepreneur one day and sort of laying those seeds, uh, I guess that could eventually grow into something more meaningful.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was, it was about being transparent. You know, when I was, when I was at Walmart, I, I was very clear, you know, when we had, you know, meetings where we could come and and share stuff about our personal life, right? I would let people know that this was something that I was working on. And I was always open with my leadership to let them know, you know, at nights and weekends, this is what I'm working on. You know, occasionally I'm going to go to lunch and, and, you know, probably be gone for an hour and a half. And, and there's a good chance that I'm having a meeting. And so it's just about, you know, really you fitting the piece the the puzzle pieces of two calendars together was the yeah. major challenge there and, and finding time to do that. Uh being in central time, it was always nice working with people on the West Coast because then yeah. you could, you know, work from five to seven here and and still be within their eight to five. But uh it's certainly challenging managing managing two calendars and trying to balance all that. But you know, I did have a stint where I worked at a, a startup before my, my, my Walmart years. It was a women's apparel clothing startup here in, in, Northwest Arkansas where I'm based. And so I got a little bit of experience, I guess, in sort of that entrepreneurial world. And that really was where it's a funny story. Um, the, the company ended up not getting on the trajectory that we thought it was going to get on suffice it to say. And so when it came time for me to have to leave. Um, I had pitched the concept of Brothrow to the owners of the company and and he owned just a ton of domain names that he'd bought over the years. And he's like, oh man, I've got the perfect domain name for that. And so when I had to go out the door, I said, Hey, I want Brothrow.com like as my severance package. And so that's where, that's where Brothrow the name came from was actually that, that startup experience before Walmart. But yeah, I'd say that the big thing is just to be transparent with the people that, you know, are around you and that are helping, that are managing your time. And, you know, let them know that you're, you're doing more than one thing.
1: I guess looking ahead here now, you know, it feels like the you know sort of the lazy days of summer right now. But obviously, for anybody working in sports tech, uh, it's obviously the busy time you're getting ready for NFL. It's not all that far away. And I guess for you guys and Row as you're looking at the NFL season ahead, um, what are you guys focused on, and what would a successful NFL season look like for you guys at the end of 2022 when you look back at it?
0: Yeah, first and foremost, we've, we've got to finish this fundraising. We've got to get our subscription product up and running because I think what this fall is going to be about for us is proving out the business model. We've, we've got this sort of fixed cost way to bet in mind and, and to be able to go and actually prove out that it works is going to be sort of the major milestone for us to you know monitor this fall. I'd say the other thing that we're going to be laser, laser focused on is understanding our, our unit economics, right? What does it cost to acquire a customer? Can we measure their lifetime value? How long does it take to pay for a customer? And are the channels that we're marketing through? Are they working like our financial model would say that they're gonna work? And so I think that's, that's sort of how we're gonna spend our time this fall is, is proving out the business and, and making sure that, you know, what we said is gonna happen in our financial model is actually happening. And, and if it's not, how do we adjust to get to that point? So, you know, I think at, if the, at the end of the year, I hope we look back and we've acquired a meaningful number of users and a quality users at a, at a reasonable cost and, We've proven out that, you know, the business model is
1: working. And I think that'll be a a huge, uh, a positive end to 22 for us. Awesome. And my standard closing question, if you've listened before, which I know you have, Brady, thank you for the support, by the way. Uh, You'll know that my standard closing question is this, if you weren't working in sports tech or if you weren't working in finance as in any of your previous careers, what would you be doing instead in a parallel universe?
0: Yeah, I think. I've always been passionate about teaching. Like that was when I was in in graduate school. I loved the teaching part, but I hated the research side of it, but I love to teach. And so I think if I wasn't doing this, I'd probably be teaching math. Um, I alluded to this earlier, but I love golf too. So if I could do something working in golf, that'd be great. But those are probably my two, I guess, passions in life that I'd be doing something, you know, if I was doing something different, that's what it'd be.
1: Awesome. Uh, For folks listening that might want to check out the Brothrow product, uh, learn more about what you're up to on the business side or get in touch with you, how would you suggest they go about doing that?
0: Yeah, easiest way, fastest way is to shoot me an email, brady at barrowthrow.com. I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn. It's easy to find me there. Uh, Yeah, those are, you know, you typically get a pretty immediate response out of me if if you go to one of those two paths.
1: Awesome, Brady. Well, hey, I really appreciate you joining the podcast today. It's been awesome to learn more about Brothrow and uh, wishing you a huge second half of the year ahead with everything coming up and uh, appreciate the support, listening to the podcast once again. Take care. Yeah. Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate you having me on.